how many of you live here in Florida year-round? Live in Florida year-round. Okay. Have you ever tried to explain the Florida lifestyle, particularly the Bradenton lifestyle, to someone who has never, ever been to Florida? Last year, I had to explain Florida to a bunch of Alaskans. And, and I, was trying, I was trying to figure out how to explain us And and I had to stop and and really think about that for for a little bit. Because when you live somewhere and you're used to it, you don't realize how kind of different you are from the rest of the world. Here, uh, we kind of of stroll to our own tune. And and I realize that the expression is that that we march to our own tune. But but here in Florida, we don't really march. We don't don't even really walk. We just kind of sort of amble around. We're just stuck stuck on beach time. And we're so used to it that we don't even notice it until we go visit relatives up north. And, and they're so annoyed that we don't seem to be doing anything at any kind of normal speed. And we're just kind of wasting away the day, just slow moment by slow moment. Oddly enough, I think that makes Floridians well-suited to be Christmas people. So I want you to think about the Christmas story just for a second. In, in the Christmas story, there, there's a lot of busyness going on, but then there's this sweet story of a mother and a father and their newborn son in the manger, and all the stars are shining gently on the animals and on the baby, and we talk about how Mary treasured all of these things in her heart, and every year we get to that candlelight service, and we just want to hold on in suspended animation as we all sing Silent Night, and it's so slow, and it's so sweet, and it's so perfect for us Floridians. Christmas moves wondrously slow, but not Easter. Easter is the opposite of slow. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran. She ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So first thing in the morning, Mary Magdalene is up earlier than even we are right now. And she goes to the tomb. And according to John, she takes one look at that tomb. Just one look at it. Realizes that the stone has been removed from the entrance and she runs. She takes off like a shot doesn't stop to investigate, doesn't ask anybody any questions. She is running. The sun has barely come up, and she's going at the speed of light. Why? Why did John mention that she's running? She doesn't even know what happened at the tomb. Is she scared? Is she angry? What is she supposed to feel like on that very first Easter morning? How are we supposed to feel when we approach Easter? For Mary Magdalene, I think what happened was it was all just a bit too much for her. You got to consider her backstory. Like so many people of that day, Mary Magdalene had been waiting for a savior. She's trying like crazy to, to hold on to the promises of scripture, all of the scripture of the Old Testament, that God promised her that life would not always be heavy. It would not be burdened down with sin. The shame would have no hold over the people. She knew the promise that in Jesus, there was going to be new life. There was a better life, and it was going to be possible. And then it really happened because Jesus came. He was real, and she could touch him. And she saw, she saw that, that glimpse 
that maybe, just maybe, all those promises that God made were going to come true. But then, then Judas sold out Jesus for a bag of silver to a bunch of crooked officials looking to humble and humiliate him. And Jesus just took it. He didn't defend himself. He, he didn't fight back. In fact, he scolded one of his own who went ahead and cut off the ear of a soldier. So if this was the Jesus that she was expecting, how could Jesus save them if he couldn't even save himself? So then she watched as they hung him on a cross to die. Someone that Mary Magdalene deeply loved was nailed to a cross like an object, like a piece of wood, and they gambled for his clothes, and they spit on him, and they laughed at his pain. And when he had died, they cut him down because nobody wanted to deal with dead bodies on the Sabbath. And since Jesus himself had nothing, he was buried in a tomb that was owned by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And now it's the first day of the week, and here is Mary. She is brokenhearted. She's grieving. She is hopeless. But she shows up at the tomb anyway, and when she gets there, in the midst of all of that emotion, she is shocked to find that something, something has happened, and the stone is rolled away. So it becomes all too much for her. Too much grief, too much pain, and so she ran. She ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have laid him. And upon hearing this news, what did those two do? They ran. They ran. They started running. Peter and the other disciples set out and they went towards the tomb. And the two were running together, says John. But the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. Now, I want you to picture this. You've got these two guys. This is not a saunter. This is not a casual jog. This is not, oh, let's go on Florida time and see if we can get to the tomb. This is a lung-busting, legs-burning race to the tomb. They want to get there, and they want to get there quick. We're still at daybreak. Easter is already moving at the speed of light compared to Christmas. And what's fascinating here is that while Mary was running away from the tomb, Peter and the other disciple are running towards it. Mary ran away, interpreting what had happened at the tomb to be this great tragedy. Peter and the other disciple ran towards the tomb, trying to determine the nature of the devastation. Or or is it possible that it wasn't that at all? Is it possible that throughout the Gospel of John, you have Peter, Peter who's the leader of the disciples, he's the one who's always ready to speak, always has a word, not always a good word, but Peter always has a word. And then you have this beloved disciple. The beloved disciple, whoever he was, seems to be the closest one to the heart of Jesus. And they ran, they ran to see which one of them could get there first. Was it going to be Peter, the leader, or the disciple who was the beloved? Who would get there? Now, I think that's how many of us approach Easter. Some of us, we can't wait for Easter to arrive because we want that reminder that life begins again, that our sins are forgiven, that Jesus is Lord and he reigns forever. And then there's others of us. Others of us, we just want the whole thing to pass, or at least we 
We'd very much like for the church service to pass so that we could get home to our eggs and our jelly beans. And the real truth is that that we're just not sure that we believe yet. But whether we're running towards the tomb or running away from Easter, the truth of the story remains the same. And the tomb, whether you run towards it or whether you run away from it, still remains empty. The beloved disciple wins the race. He gets to the tomb first. He bent down and, and he looked and he saw that the linen wrappings were lying there, but he didn't, he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter, who was following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head was not lying with the rest of the linen wrappings, but it was rolled up in a place by itself. And it's only then that the other disciple, the one who reached the tomb first, also went in, he saw, and he believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must be raised from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their homes. Now, this might seem like a really small detail, but it's interesting that John mentions that the beloved disciple got there first. Not only that, he says that that he was the first one to peer into that empty tomb and believe. John puts those things together. The, The beloved disciple was the first one ever to believe in Easter. And I think that John not only wanted to tell us that the beloved disciple got there first, but also how it is that he got there. Others came to Easter that day in in very different ways. Mary would not believe until she stands face to face with the risen Christ and hears him call her name, Mary. And Thomas, Thomas is the one who took the longest to get to Easter. He doesn't believe in the risen Christ until the risen Christ offers Thomas the opportunity to touch his pierced hands and his wounded side. For Thomas, only seeing is going to be believing. But the beloved disciple comes to Easter another way. He believes without seeing. He doesn't hear Jesus. He doesn't see the risen Christ. He doesn't come to peer. And all, all he does is he comes and he peers into this dark and empty tomb. And from there, he believes. The beloved disciple, unlike the others, believes in the resurrection in light of Jesus' absence. There's nothing there. There's nothing. There's no evidence for him. There's no shroud of Torin. There's no photos. There's just this empty place. But scripture says that he saw and he believed. So how is it then that this beloved disciple came to faith in Easter on that first Easter day? Trust. He came by a way of trust. The beloved disciple knew his beloved Jesus. Thus, when he saw the empty tomb, he wasn't afraid. He didn't think he had been abandoned, that Jesus had been defeated. He didn't think death. He thought freedom, victory, life. In in a moment, he sensed that Jesus had taken their relationship to a whole new and unexpected level. The beloved disciple had no problems believing that everything Jesus said was true. So he didn't come to the empty tomb with fear. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw the two angels sitting in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been laying, one at the head and one at the feet. 
And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, well, they've taken away the Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know. She didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And in probably one of the most embarrassing moments in Mary's life, she mistakes him for the gardener. And she says, sir, if, if you've taken him away, tell me. Just, just tell me where he is and, and, and I will come and I'll get the body again. And I'll take care of it. And Jesus says, Mary, Mary. And she turns and she'd heard the Savior call her name. Her name, the Savior of the world, called her by name. And she turns and says to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, look, don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But you go to my brothers and you say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, all these things that he had said to her. I imagine that after Mary has that conversation with Jesus, when it finally hits her that this is who she's talking to, it's not that she just went. I think she ran. I think she was so excited that she ran. She could not wait to tell everybody. Now, all of us this morning, we all came to Easter in very, very different ways. And some come with fear and trepidation that that maybe... Easter isn't for us. Maybe Easter is only for, for good people, for righteous people, for, for people who are, who are only little sinners. Peter, who only days before had denied Jesus three times, discovered that, that even in all of his sin, Easter was for him. Easter is for sinners. Now, some of us come with joy and with faith, and, and we're like, the beloved disciple. Blessed are those who have not yet seen, yet have believed. Easter is also for the beloved disciples. And then some of us, we came like Mary, we were expecting one thing, the, the same old thing, and we, kept, we leave weeping because we didn't stick around long enough to discover that our expectations were totally wrong. And there's actually Easter for those of us who in fact run from the tomb. Yesterday I took the kids for uh, one of those Easter egg hunts out on the island, and they have all the eggs laid out on the sand, which really limits the hunt part of the Easter egg hunt. The kids are, the kids are divided into three different groups by age. And if you look closely at an Easter egg hunt, you can see the Easter story. Because you have the little ones, right? The little ones always get to start first, that four and under group. And they come into those Easter egg hunts with all of the wonder and, and all of the awe. They move at Florida speed for their Easter egg hunt. And they pick up each egg and they look at it as though it is the only egg on earth. And they examine the whole egg and they shake the egg. And then, then they put the egg so gently in, in their basket. It is a time of wonder and contemplation for them. And then you get to those guys in the middle, that five to seven age group, and they are pushing the boundaries of the starting line. They, they want to be the first ones there. They want to see it. They're excited about everything. And they get out there on the field, and they're just grabbing everything 
and they can find everything in sight, and they keep looking. They're the group that keeps looking. Even after the field has been picked clean and all the adults are trying to gather them back in, no, they keep looking because they're so excited about the whole thing. And then you have the oldest kids, and, and they want to have all the joy that the younger ones have, but, you know, they've done this before, and, and they're getting mature now, and, and they're not little kids, and they're not going to behave like little kids, but they want to be little kids. They, they want to get out there, and they know the routine, and this time they come into it with a strategy and how it's all going to go down. But when they are released, when they are released, they run just as fast as they always have, but they give up so much quicker than their younger counterparts. They know when it's over, so they stop looking early on. And yet, for as differently as those hunts are, for each one of those age groups, all of the kids, all of the kids go home with eggs. See, we all come to Easter a little bit differently. Some of us come with joy, some with doubt, some with just fear. But at the end of the day, the tomb is still empty. Jesus is still risen. And all of us, all of us, the slow, the poor, the joy-filled, the selfish, the righteous, the honest, the brokenhearted, all of us leave the tomb with something to hold on to. So you run, you walk, you stroll, you amble from this place, knowing that you have been forgiven that you have been loved, and that you are indeed redeemed. Let me pray for us.